How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. How I Got Here, Mozio and Focuswire's weekly podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. Today, we have Francis Davidson, CEO and founder of Sonder, joining us. Sonder is a major player in the vacation rental world. They run a network of service departments licensed to run as a hotel, allowing them to offer a higher reliability and consistency of service and a more comprehensive brand than marketplaces like Airbnb and VRBO. Uh, Sonder has 8,500 spaces in 26 cities around the world and is expected to generate $400 million in revenue this year. They've raised $360 million and recently achieved unicorn status. And thank you for joining us, Francis. It's a pleasure to be here. So we like to start all these podcasts out with the same question, uh, which is uh, to ask you how you got here. So please, you know, would love to learn a little bit how you started your company. Certainly, I uh, would have never imagined that I'd be an entrepreneur building a company in hospitality and travel. Um, I actually got introduced to the idea as a college student, um, trying to figure out a way to rent my own apartment out during the summer. I was going back to my hometown um, and uh, no one, no one uh, wanted to rent the space. And so I thought, Hey, maybe I could rent it to travelers instead. Uh, That was 2012. I want the first thing I did was kind of research online. Hey, I was in Montreal then. If I want to stay in an apartment in Montreal for a week or a few days, uh, where would I go? And uh, and I stumbled upon a couple of websites. The most popular then was actually HomeAway, which had just gone public the prior year. Um, and I just basically ran all the numbers that I could to figure out how much revenue was possible to generate off of the space and how that um, you know would, would would contrast against the costs that would would have to be uh, undertaken to operate the business. And saw that yeah, there would be an interesting business model where I could just basically take people's spaces that they were leaving vacant for months at a time, pay their rent for them and then turn around and, and, and create some really interesting experiences for travelers that wanted an experience that's a little bit more uh, authentic and off the beaten path. Um, so I did that with my apartment after having kind of, you know, done the modeling and entered a competition actually at McGill, which uh, now we're known for have not to have, to have not pursued um, um, or uh, went all the way to the finals. Uh, we were kind of cut in, in one of the first in the first few uh, rounds, um, um, but despite this, kept kept on going. Uh, we you know, went back to school after a successful summer summer, and then the following year rented out a bunch of other people's apartments. I think there was like six, and um, that worked really well. And so I decided, hey, we would. Uh, my co-founder and I, Lucas, uh, decided to take this to the next level and show a bunch of other people how. Um, it was possible to basically take vacant apartments in a city, uh, especially during the summer, during the high season, and um, have a bunch of people that are happy because their rents are being paid for them. And then on the other side, host a bunch of travelers who would pay a premium to have access to those spaces. Um, so we found a bunch of entrepreneurial college students across, I think, 11 cities. Um, that was in 2014. I was still in college at that point, but once we kind of were in those 11 cities, I basically had to, to stop attending class and go kind of all in. Um, basically showing these people how we had done it and splitting the profits with them. So this was still before we'd raised capital or before, you know, I was aware of what, 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 what angels or VCs were, or, um, you know, thinking that, you know, we'd be trying to build a disruptive company. We're just kind of exploring this cool concept. 
Um, and it actually worked, you know, we ended up making a million in sales that, uh, that summer. Um, and uh, business was profitable. It was working really well, uh, but we wanted to take it to the next level. And so we kind of uh, met up with some local VCs. I basically just emailed one out of the blue being, Hey, like we're looking for some capital. And I read that you guys do this. You invest in, you know, companies uh, that need capital to grow. Um, and, uh, they, and actually I sent that email in French even, which was, um, you know, just a cold email, but we said, we put a couple of stats in there. Hey, you know, we just, we just did a million in sales and you know, we want, we want to raise some money and they replied and they got us to come into one of their accelerator, their accelerator called founder fuel, uh, spent a few months there. People started asking like, what's the vision for your company? And that's when we actually took a step back and thought about what is now Sonder, um, you know, this idea that there is an opportunity to create a really amazing brand that, that, that guests would love that it wasn't about like the real estate, the supply side. It was about basically bringing a really, uh, beautiful space uh, in an interesting neighborhood, like a format that really is the diametrical opposite to like, you know, a soulless downtown beige walled hotel room um, that costs an arm and a leg uh, that we could actually bring this authenticity, this uniqueness, this really interesting experience, uh, but in a way where we can drive high quality and consistency because we could manage it to brand standards and we'd be in charge of making sure that the spaces are clean and that the furniture is nice and that there's service if ever anything goes south. Um, so uh, this concept, uh, you know, people loved and we've been, and now there's been a, a large evolution since that moment in 2014 that we decided we want to build a hospitality brand, you know, away from taking on apartments for the, just the summer and towards now almost exclusively working with developers who are building properties um, that, that uh, first honor, first honor specific use. Um, there was a, you know, lots of changes when it comes to um, how we would uh, operate these spaces and that now we, you know, furnish and design them. There's a much greater degree of control with regards to what we're actually offering to the, uh, to the guests. Um, and that has, you know, ex ex uh, grown ex extraordinarily fast since then. Like you mentioned, we've raised a few hundred million dollars of venture capital. And, you know, every year we've launched to new markets and new geographies. Um, and that leads us to, to today. Very cool. Um, I, I read someplace, and I think maybe you might have echoed this, uh, you talk about building a hospitality brand, and you, you were quoted as saying you want to build the Marriott or the Hilton of the new economy, whereas Airbnb is more like booking in Expedia. Could you maybe elaborate on kind of how you think about yourself uh, within what is a very, you know, uh, a very complicated vacation rental market? Yeah. So, you know, in its simplest form, uh, you have online travel agencies, marketplaces, basically that connect supply with travelers. Um, and so, you know, booking.com, I think close to a hundred billion dollar market cap. Um, you have Expedia um, and uh, Airbnb is a flavor of uh, one of these kinds of, you know, marketplaces. I think they've done some things extraordinarily well, much more design centric. And they've tried to, identify supply that priorly wasn't even online. So huge value creation there. Um, but that's fundamentally a very different business than the one of, that, that, that we're involved in, which is about, you know, operating spaces um, and being in charge of the guest experience from end to end in the same way that, you know, some of the large hotel brands are. Um, so, um, you know, the Four Seasons is not an internet company and marketplace. It is a, a hospitality, um, you know, operator and brand. And so from that sense, you know, we, we're definitely lean more in that camp. I think we're bringing technology to the table in a way that allows us to rethink a lot of the operations of the hospitality industry and its cost structure in particular. Um, and I wouldn't also say that, you know, our aspiration is to be a Marriott or a Hilton. I actually find those brands not to be inspiring, not to have, you know, a fan base of people who really, really love 
um, those brands. And so I think there's an opportunity to take it a step further and, 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 and build within hospitality a brand that's more, you know, um, in the same category as the, the Apples and the Disney's and the Nike's, um, you know, something that, that for sure no hospitality company has managed to do so far. That would be our, our, our ambition. Hi, Francis. It's, it's Kev here over in the UK. Um, uh, we've got loads of questions for you. I mean, I've, I've got one here now. I mean, you've mentioned or you've referenced quite a few brands there already, Airbnb, Booking.com, uh, Homeway and uh, Expedia. Could you give us a, a flavour of which ones you've learned from the most, perhaps, and which ones that you think you've deliberately avoided following their strategy because of the way they've done things and it's different to the way you want to do things? Yeah, so I'd say... Um... You know, none of these companies really provide an operating manual for how to build Sonder the brand operator. Um, I think, um, you know, there's the things that we are good at are uh, working with developers and real estate owners to figure out how we might be able to increase the yields they generate on their assets. We're good at, you know, designing spaces and furnishing them, decorating them, photographing them. Um, you know, we're also good at handling guest requests and ensuring that properties are clean and well-maintained. Um, so those are capabilities that are really different from any of these companies that you just mentioned. So I'd say, if anything, we, we take a look at some of the high-end boutique hotels as inspirations from a guest experience perspective. You know, um, if I think about, you know, a Capella Hotels or if I think about uh, Proper Hotels or uh, Nomad or, you know, there's a series of brands that I think really care about culture and design and that have kind of crafted experiences that give um you know really really create some sort of a symphony of uh of art of architecture uh of of food of service and they really meticulously consider all of the details i'd say those are the companies i probably you know that we study the most to try and understand like how we might be able to deliver an experience that's truly mind-blowing um a little bit less so the the kind of you know online marketplaces although if i if i if I had to choose one that I think is doing like a particularly good job, like definitely I think Airbnb's kind of design centric culture from a UI UX perspective is really excellent. The way that they've built kind of trust in their platform, what they've accomplished is really special. Um, so I really love what, what, what they've done, but really we're, we're mostly about, you know, the operations of, of a piece of, of property, you know, so that guests can really enjoy their stay. I want to, quickly delve a little bit deeper on what you just mentioned about boutique hotels. So um, I hate to bring up uh, FocusWire's competitor Skift on this call, but I was at the Skift Global Forum a few weeks ago and Ian Schrager from Public Hotels and Studio 54 and kind of one of the pioneers of boutique hotels was, uh, boutique hotels, excuse me, was uh, on stage and he was talking about how they were rethinking every part of uh, design from why should there be a person checking you in to why should there be room service and how they're able to minimize costs and provide a much better experience um, at a much uh, at, a, at a at a similar price to maybe something that would be uh, you know typically costs a lot more. So I, I I'd love to you know that that is gets back into a little bit of something you said earlier about how you guys are trying to uh, use technology to minimize your operational costs. Could you maybe elaborate on, uh, on that a little bit more, both more on the boutique hotel side and also on the operational costs and technology? Certainly. Uh, I think, um, you know, Ian's commentary on this topic is, is, is absolutely correct. And this is something where, you know, we're, we're beyond kind of, you know, cheering for the idea that technology can rethink the operations of property. We're actually putting our money where our mouth is and, 
investing really substantially um, in in building in the building of like you know technology that allows us to um, you know, operate more effectively at every part of the business. So as an example, when it comes to underwriting and figuring out which properties are would be best suited for our use, um, uh, we have you know, quite a sophisticated um, approach towards modeling the revenues and the costs and what the expected kind of returns are likely to look like uh, are, are likely to be uh, followed by our you know once a property is signed uh, getting it up and running extremely rapidly so we actually have a global supply chain built out um, where we buy globally you know furniture decoration artwork uh, mattresses cutlery uh, we have warehouses um, that are operated with our homegrown software um, you know, that's mapped to a platform that designers can use to pick and choose items that will get then get put onto trucks and shipped to cities where there's, you know, other pieces of software that allow our third parties and our teams on the ground to manage the incoming flow of like literally thousands upon thousands of boxes that need to be unpacked and moved and placed exactly in the right place before the photographer comes in. And we managed to do this in a matter of days. And so whereas it takes years for most hospitality projects to come up with, you know, soup to nuts, the concepting towards the, to the first guest checking in, uh, we routinely, routinely do this in a matter of, of, of simply days uh, and at a cost that's, you know, uh, extremely envious uh, to uh, most hospitality companies, despite the fact that our design is kind of celebrated and has been widely published for being excellent. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's more revenue management, I think is an obvious application of technology. I don't think we're the only ones there, but I think we've, there's been quite a lot of innovation given how diverse our portfolio is. We don't just have 350 rooms inside of one property that all look the same. We have a really diverse set of properties uh, in a series of locations. Um, and, um, and so that adds some elements of complexity that have required us to build our own technology. Um, and then the day-to-day -day operations of the property are probably the most important um, uh, is probably one of the most important things that technology can do. We've basically looked at everything that a hotel can do and whether it was possible for us to automate that work, whether it was um, you know, possible for us to simply completely eliminate it because it's a relic of the past. And so I think you know, the couple of examples that you mentioned, like the front desk, for instance, or the room service, like, yeah, we think no front desk is better um, and that the front desk should be on your phone, actually. Um, that there should be no check-in process, and, but that you should have 24-7 service available within seconds. Um, but through your phone. Um, and we think that in the era of food delivery companies, um, there's no need to have, you know, a room service uh, offering at the property level that typically is a loss leader. So yeah, I think we've, we've done a really careful job analyzing every single job that is done within a hotel and figuring out how technology might be able to do it in a more efficient manner. Very cool. Um, I think you answered most of what I wanted to ask my next question here, actually. But um there's a lot of focus right now on people using property in creative ways and calling it technology companies with WeWork's uh, IPO implosion. Um, I feel like you just mentioned a bunch of different ways that um, you truly are using technology. But I am curious, have you, have you received any blowback? Um, and how do you think of yourselves as a real estate company versus a technology company in that balance? Yeah, so... Um I think I think everyone that takes a deep look at our business realizes that there's no way we can offer a bigger, nicer place for a lower cost than a hotel room uh, in a profitable manner without without delving deep into technology and that being at our core. So I don't think we're a technology company from the perspective of, you know, we don't sell our technology. We're not a software company that has like a service that you can subscribe to. Uh, the technology we use is, is, is for our internal use, very much like Amazon. 
and their warehouse and logistics and, you know, the, what powers their e-commerce platform. And, you know, there might be a day where we decide, hey, we actually want to package our technology and, and sell it. But that would be kind of um, not the core driver. Like what we really care about is extraordinary experiences like spaces, services that are just, you know, jaw dropping and, and to offer those at price points where everyone can afford. And there's really no other way than to, you know, uh, build technology in order to do that. Um, so I think it's, uh, uh, there, there's no cause for concern when it comes to, I think some other companies that pretend to be things that perhaps they're not. Um, what matters for us is just to stay focused on efficiency and quality of experience. And then it just happens that technology is one of those major levers to make that happen at scale. Hey, Francis, Kev here. And um, I, I don't mind quoting our rival as well, David. So I, I don't mind if you do. So um, a year and a half ago, uh, Steve Milo, this is going back to the, uh, the kind of the, the impression that people have of the company. Uh, Steve Milo, uh, as most people know, the founder and CEO of Vitrix, said in an article with uh, um, my former colleague, Sean O'Neill, what Sonder is practicing is arbitrage. And arbitrage only goes in one direction as a market matures and it's down. Um, what do you, how do you kind of, kind of counter that with um, not kind of, you know, how do you kind of take that kind of criticism on the chin? Is it something that you just take on the chin or do you kind of fight back with your own kind of response to it? So it's fairly, yeah. it's fairly, it's fairly vocal really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, I, I understand where this person's coming from. Uh, but I think ultimately it's, it's, it's a misguided idea. Um, I think, you know, for instance, if you're familiar at all with the European market for hotels, the leasing model is extremely prevalent there. Um, you know, if you think, if you really think about what Starbucks is, is that not only just a lease arbitrage from the price of a coffee cup to the price of real estate <laughs> retail square footage, you know, if, if at the end of the day, what you're doing, an arbitrage at, at, at requires basically taking an asset and buying it and then selling it immediately on another market that has a different price for it. But the reality is that we're leasing, you know, entire buildings that are, um, don't, don't come with service, that aren't furnished, that don't come with distribution, that don't come with pricing algorithms built in, that don't come with basically all the ingredients that actually make the experience special for guests and actually drives um, you know, the business model through the efficiencies that we can bring about. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, um, there's, there, I, I really encourage people that think it's an arbitrage to go and sign up, you know, a thousand <laughs> units and then try and chop them out in, you know, three, four night stays, um, you know, without having to build like a colossal organization and capabilities that, you know, rival some of the best organizations out there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you mentioned the word just then uh, distribution, uh, Francis. I'm, I'm curious, you know, just, if you can talk us through what the kind of the customer acquisition um, kind of process has been over the years and whether you see yourselves as the sole distributor of these properties or whether there's something wider that you would do with working with some of those OTAs that you referenced earlier. Yeah. So we've, we've, uh, I, I think, you know, extraordinary, like great organizations make bets that are a little bit unusual and that take people by surprise but that consciously do so in order to gain an advantage. And I think one of the things that we've done is be extremely focused on what we're good at. And what we're good at is real estate kind of supply side acquisition, making sure we, we have a really compelling value proposition for owners. And we're really good at operating properties, both from an experience perspective and from a cost perspective. Like that's where we have actually, we have an engine and not all of our resources are really focused on making those things happen. Um, and one of the things that we decide not to do is, uh, you know, figure out how to, uh, you know, acquire customers directly, 
uh, and compete against the bookings and Expedias who are the largest spenders of Google AdWords, um, you know, to try and, and build an acquisition funnel. Our view is let's partner with companies that are really great already at um, aggregating supply and that already have hundreds of millions of, 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 of users. Um, and let's just make sure that our stuff's the best on there. Let's just make sure that we show up at the top, that our reviews are really good, that we have like great merchandising, great photography. And, you know, um, and, and our business model should work uh, as a result of the efficiencies that we bring about, not necessarily because like we were able to outsmart booking.com who are notorious for their AB testing and their, you know, extreme levels of efficiency and customer acquisition. Um, that's just not a fight that we think is worth it. We think that, you know, much more value is driven by, by being amazing operators um, of, 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 of properties that people love. Right. I want to quickly rewind. You said something that this is common in Europe. There's, this is the European leasing model. I'm, I'm always fascinated when they're, you know, in another market, people are operating like this and you, you bring it, you know, to America. Uh, could you maybe detail that a little bit more? What did you mean when you said this was common in Europe? Yeah, so a lot of uh, hotels are leased in Europe. Uh, lots of owners are actually skeptical of hotel management agreements where the operator brand gets a percentage of revenue, percentage of NOI, um, and instead just require even the Hiltons to lease, you know, properties from them to guarantee a certain amount of, you know, monthly, annual, um, you know, payments to the owners. Um, and so it's already a widespread kind of practice within hospitality, not so much in the U.S., which really thrives on hotel management agreements and franchise contracts. Um, you know, maybe another thing I wanted to add with regards to the prior point that I forgot to mention is, um, you know, despite the fact that we have really strong partnerships with our distribution partners and we don't really play the customer acquisition marketing game, um, what we realize is that people, like when they fall in love with the experience and they just don't believe that, you know, they're staying in the center of London and they paid a fraction of what they would have paid to even stay like 20 minutes outside if they stayed at a Holiday Inn, they're like, holy shit, I want to stay with Sonder again. And either they find us again on through these channels or sometimes they'll go on Sonder.com or they'll tell other people and they'll go and book direct. So our direct business has actually been increasing incredibly fast. And it's on track to be, despite the fact that we have no marketing spend at all behind um, you know, direct customer acquisition, it's on track to be the majority of our revenue by 2021. It's funny, just, just, I know David's got something to ask you, but just quickly on that, Francis, it's quite funny, really, because, you know, if you, I'm sure you'll recall, if you wind back eight or nine years, you know, the, the, you know, the, the commentary around once people come to us and they have a brilliant experience and uh, all these kind of things, it's the same kind of messaging that was used by a, you know, a, a certain Brian Chesky of Airbnb when they were three or four years into their journey. It's, it's the same thing. Would you agree? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with it, but I can, you know, the basic principle that if people love what you do, they will come back, I think is universally true. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into uh, this idea that you guys are actually completely on the right side of the law in every city you operate in. Um, I think there's, um, you know, this debate that I think a lot of disruptive models go through, whether they, uh, whether it's to ask for permission or forgiveness. And obviously Airbnb um, asked for forgiveness uh, as did Uber and Lyft, et cetera, in a lot of these markets. And um, I know you operate as a hotel in certain cities, as a property manager in others. Could you walk us through your thought process on why you chose uh, to, to operate in this way and you know, completely on the right side of the law? Yeah, so uh, I, I think there are many different paths that lead us to that conclusion, one of which is it's just the right thing to do, uh, especially if we want to be kind of key actors in those communities for decades to come. Um, you know, another thing to consider is that we, we can't just wash our hands of 
the um, uh, of lack of compliance by saying, hey, we're just an online marketplace. I think that argument can oftentimes be used and say, hey, you know, uh, the actors on my platform, I can't be liable for the actions that they will take. Um, you know, if you're a marketplace, that, that, that is a fair argument in most instances. Uh, for us, though, like we are actually the operators. Like we have our own employees in each one of these cities. We are like our name. If you rent a space from Sonder, like you're renting it from Sonder. You're not renting it from someone else. And so if there's a violation, we're on the hook for it. Um, so uh, that requires a much higher degree of, of, of compliance. Uh, we also think that, you know, it's we don't want to grow, especially given the investments that we do into growing cities. We don't want to basically build a portfolio of, of great properties that we have to, you know, down the line, um, you know, uh, go away from. We, 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 we want to build a really long term business. And so that that involves like growth that is um, going to sustain kind of scrutiny from from regulators as, as our service becomes more and more popular. And Francis, just on that, I mean, it's it's interesting that you have taken that approach, and uh, some might say very admirable one. And um, was it tempting at the outset, though, to perhaps follow other models, just because you know, as 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 David referenced, that you know the kind of apologise later type thing, or deal with things when the regulators come calling? Um, was there any temptation in those very early days to kind of do it in a different way? Certainly, I think you know there was definitely. Some markets, especially like where we started off, Montreal and Boston, where there was just no regulations for a long time, and it took them years to come up with with clear a clear framework. And so when I started off, like in the early days, you know, we basically took properties that we could get our hands on, but they weren't operating against an existing law. It was just in somewhat of a gray zone. Uh, but as that got that got clarified, then then you know we moved towards full compliance. So do you feel like you're more of a hotel? company because you do kind of operate in that um, less of a gray area and more of a the black and white zones would you consider yourselves to be more of a kind of a hotel company then yeah i think i think you could call sonder a lot of things uh man a hotel company isn't one i'd puke at i'd puke on rather um i <laughs> I, I think it's it's uh you know i think we try to do it very differently um, our our inventory and our experience feels nothing like a hotel, even though it has those kinds of licenses and it follows the zoning and, and taxation and requirements that that the hospitality industry is subject to. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, I one one thing that we've announced recently is that we are now also in the hotel hotel business. Like we don't have just apartments. Sonder also operates hotels. We've uh, looked at. And, and taken on, I think, something like about 20 hotels so far. We have another 40 or 40 or more under negotiations currently. And uh, those are properties that we think are, you know, under-renovated. They're in really great locations, but they just don't look good. And they're kind of crappy. And uh, they're poorly operated. The operators don't have, you know, the technology that we do, nor do they have the economies of scale to, 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 to leverage kind of, you know, um, to bring down the cost structure. And so there's an opportunity we've seen to actually renovate these properties, make them look really extraordinary, plug in our technology or operating system. And, uh, and then the guests loves them more. They're willing to pay more and the profits for the property go up and we can share those profits with, with the owner. Um, so this is, um, Sonder is not just an alternative accommodations company. Uh, even though that was kind of our opening, uh, we think that the application of design and technology can work across all accommodation categories, hotels, and eventually villas, um, you can think even about glamping, um, you know, we want to have a holistic brand for all accommodation categories and eventually also expand that over to residences for which we have a pilot in a few buildings in San Francisco currently.
Did you, um, so last one from me, I promise for a while. I mean, did you have a, a, a big vision when you started? And the reason why I ask is that, you know, in, in, in a way, and for fear of saying, you know, mentioning Airbnb again, but, you know, it was what, 18 months ago that they stopped being just in private accommodation and they'd started distributing hotels. And as you just um, referenced, Francis, you know, you're now working with hotels and you're giving them the kind of, you're applying the, the Sonder, uh, magic dust to 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 get them onto onto the service onto the service i mean did you have that in front of you in your minds when you first started or was it just going to be on the kind of the real estate um apartment type properties initially? no actually you know the the, the this is something that was added onto the vision i'd say probably a couple of years ago right. um and uh, when when we realized that actually what we were good at wasn't necessarily operating apartments but just to we just had come up with without knowing a better way to operate any hospitality business. Um, so, uh, and I, I actually think that the vision is something that's dynamic. Uh, I, I, I take really, I take pride in, in hiring executives that are strategic thought partners and we get to kind of co-create what this business will become. Um, and I hope that even the vision that we have today for kind of the holistic hospitality company with all accommodation categories and, you know, and also residences uh, is going to expand over time and that we're going to, you know, in, 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 in the right time, kind of, you know, tackle more verticals, you know, the way I see it is this is a, a multi-decade horizon um, uh, vision that is dynamic. Very cool. I want to ask a quick question about brand. And um, I think obviously, you know, one of the original players in, in this kind of market was One Fine Stay and theirs was, uh, their brand was incredibly luxurious, very high touch. Um, on the other spectrum, you can you know stay in a spare bedroom on Airbnb. Um, you guys have purposely chosen somewhat of a middle path, and I'm curious how do you weigh you know what is good enough and what is on brand uh, versus cost? So our view is if you look at uh, if you decompose basically the um, hospitality business in the United States in a market say like Boston, you'll find that you have um, about 80% of the room count that fits in the call it mid scale to upper upscale categories. Those are the spaces that like, you know, most people will end up staying in. Um, and so what we've, what we've done is basically trying to figure out how can we create a, uh, a superior experience at a price point that, 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 that the vast majority of consumers can afford. And that really brings us to, a mass market product, not a niche for the 1%, not something that only, you know, the extreme budget traveler um, will benefit from, but something that's like for, for you and I and, and most people that we know. Uh, so that's what we find is most exciting. It's the biggest TAM, it's the biggest market opportunity. Uh, in our view, it's what has the, the, the largest, it's what has the capacity to have the largest impact on the world. So um, that, that's what we're singularly focused on delivering. It reminds me of, um, I was having a brand discussion with some friends a few weeks ago and we were talking about these new brands and how they are able to provide cheaper products without coming across as cheap. So Warby Parker sunglasses don't, no one thinks they're actually, you know, low quality sunglasses. And um, there are fashion brands um, that, you know, are much cheaper than Prada, uh, like Everlane, and no one thinks they're cheap fashion brands and that they don't want to be seen. Great examples. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like, I, I, this is a little bit of a comment with a kind of an open, open-ended question here because I, I'm curious how you might think about this when it comes to your business. I think Airbnb metrics on 
uh, intimacy and, and having a local experience. And Warby Parker kind of, um, there are other variables like, you know, screw the man and the, you know, the, 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 the cartel of people who own eyeglasses. And Everlane talks about their local factories. And I feel like they're able to get away with that cheaper product because it's not about being cheap anymore. It's about a better experience in some way. And I'm curious if that, that, that kind of has crossed your mind at all. Yeah. Um, no, I think those are all kind of great brand narratives. Uh, and frankly, we still need to develop exactly what Sonder does stand for, given that, again, we haven't exercised the marketing and brand muscle and we're just such an operations heavy company. Um, and that's, we, 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 I think there's a lot to come there and there's lots of ideas that we're excited to, to show the market in the coming year. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the ultimate, the ultimate uh, uh, brand is one that, that, that is most loved, that where the experience is most loved by, by its customers. And one way to do that is to offer better for cheaper. Like it's kind of, you know, the, 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 the most solid business plan is doing it better, faster, cheaper. Um, and so again, like, you know, if you think about what the perfect hotel room might be, you'd say, okay, well, you know, I want it to look amazing. I want it to be in a great location, maybe locations where there are no hotels in the really interesting neighborhoods. Maybe I want, you know, I want a normal room. I want a suite. I want to, you know, I want it to be three times the size of a normal, normal room. And uh, I want the service to be not modern, not in the way, but I want everything I, that I want when I, when, when I do want it immediately. Um, and uh, you know what? Let's also make that 20% cheaper than a normal hotel room. Um, and that's basically Sonder. Like that's like literally, if you go on our website, this is what you'll find. You'll find boatloads of these kinds of spaces uh, at these price points. Um, so I think that's the foundation of a really fantastic brand. Like you just have to deliver. I think another, maybe another example is maybe Zara that we think take inspiration from no marketing, but extraordinary, uh, logistics. And I'd say really good art direction as well. And, 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 and great fashion, uh, at prices that, you know, most people can afford. And I think, um, uh, this, this is a model which, which really lacks in hospitality today. Uh, Francis, I mean, it, it, interesting. So uh, 2014, and forgive me if I've got these figures wrong, they're from uh, Crunchbase. So uh, 2014, 450,000, 215, a slightly more modest 6.5 million. Then we got up to 11.1 and then 32 million in uh, what two and a half years ago. A year ago, it kind of doubled a bit more up to 85. And then this year, boom, 225 million. Can you just talk us through really the what the funding strategy has been and what do you sense has kind of really ramped things up in this last year and a half or so is it what you've done that's attracted that amount of money or is it something more about the marketplace that you're operating in around private accommodation well um i i i'd i'd say the results that we've generated as businesses have explained this. We're by far the largest player in our category, despite having 12 competitors, you know, we're, we're much larger and much faster growing. And so we've been really the pioneers for this. Um, and uh, I'd say the reason why we've been able to raise so much money is because we are obsessed with, um, you know, financial discipline and understanding how we might be able to operate a business that is um, sustainable and, that ultimately generates free cash flow. Like this is, we have this maniacal focus on unit economics and we've published and we've spoken about some of the details, but the headline is that we pay back our investments in new spaces in about 12 months. We have the contractual right to stay and extend our, 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 our uh, lease in our properties for up to, you know, for 13 years on average. 
And so pay them back in year one, and then afterwards the rest is gravy. And that's basically, uh, you know, very simple investment value proposition. 99% IRRs within Sonder today. Uh, you put a dollar in and you get a dollar out every year for the next 13 years at least. And those, that number has been increasing over time. And so uh, it's as simple as that for investors to come in. You know, you put $225 million into the machine and it generates a stream of cash flow that's um, really substantial over the next decade plus. Um, so I'd say the unit economics is really critical. Understanding you know, also how to control overhead expenses and just being really disciplined with regards to that, um, you know, um, showing how our earlier markets are being, are profitable and generating cash flow, And like just me painting a picture that, Hey, by the time this company goes public and beyond, you know, the narrative will be really attractive, um, you know, for investors and, and, and folks that are going to want to hold on to our stock. I wanted to follow up there. You, you talked about unity economics and one that's refreshing with all the, uh, <laughs> the WeWork stuff going on. Um, but uh, with a model that uh, has a very clear payback period like that, um, this is a two-part question. Have you explored alternative financing, you know, f figuring out like some sort of property acquisition fund um, that is financed separately um, outside of venture capital? And I'd also love it if you could talk, you know, kind of related to this about how you are partnering with these developers and maybe those two are, you know, one and the same. Yeah, so um, the the I, I probably... Multiple times a week, I have to fend off the reason why we're not, you know, why we don't have a real estate fund and why we're not buying properties. Um, I think the main reason why uh, people love the idea is because it's just baller. It's so cool. Like if I could just go to all my friends and be like, hey, like we have like a $2 billion real estate fund and look at this. I just kept to point some properties and say that we own them and we put our sign on them. Like it's just like, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, and I think it's easy for people to just kind of, yeah, get excited about that just because like, it's just, it's a statement. Um, but really like, I mean, what, at the end of the day, what we're, what we care about is like extending our network as fast as possible, using our dollars extremely responsibly. Um, you know, last quarter we brought on 3000 units, you know, maybe the average value of each one of these units, maybe let's call it $400, 400,000, 500,000. So let's call it a billion and a half worth of real estate that we added on a quarterly basis. And that's growing at two and a half, three and a half times a year over year. Um, it's going to be like got 10 billion plus worth of assets next year. Um, and the, the pain that it would be for us to raise capital to, to, to buy even just a fraction of that and the quantity of time it takes to diligence, it's, it's, it's really long. And so it's, our view is that we have to grow fast. We have to use our dollars really efficiently. Um, and, and the best path to do this is, is the current model that we've developed. So if you want me, um, if you want me quickly interrupting, how do you view venture capital versus debt then? Because if you have a very repeatable, uh, model, right, even if you don't buy the property, could you raise debt saying, Hey, we have a payback period. This, this asset is actually extremely low risk. Help us blow this up. Ha have you thought about debt financing? It seems like it's yep. mostly been VC. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have, uh, kind of unannounced, um, you know, debt facilities in place. Uh, that we can use for exactly that purpose. Um, so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. If there's if there's a repeatable, like cr clearly clear clear return that can be obtained, that we can pull on some debt, especially given that there's some assets that we're buying, like we're actually buying the furniture and the artwork and the decoration that we're putting in the spaces. So those have a useful life, and and so it's it's reasonable to finance those. Uh, absolutely, Francis. Um, let's kind of just step back a second, and you know, lots of people throw the word bubble around with regards to private accommodation and you know you've you've more than adequately explained why you've 
you know, Saunders managed to raise so much money, it's on the unit economics, it's the quality of the experience, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of money around anyway. What do you say to those just broadly about private accommodation and what you're doing who say there is a bubble that is potentially has the potential to pop quite badly at some point? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe you could, you know, uh, help me with some, some names and I could, I could give you some thoughts with regards to various kinds of business models. Like I think, you know, in any environment, you're going to see some companies that are disciplined and you're going to see some companies that are a little bit crazy and don't really understand the financial drivers of their success. Um, in the long run, only the former survive. Um, so whether or not, you know, is there a bubble right now? I'd say like my guess is probably not, but happy to, you know, discuss some, some specific examples. Maybe it's a, a, an inherent skepticism that some have, maybe it's related to WeWork and SoftBank, maybe it's just related to the venture market in general, that there is some sense of often money just being thrown into an industry, let's say that as an, an industry, rather than just what you're doing or what the sector in which you operate in. What is your kind of view about the venture market as a whole and you know specifically with referencing kind of what's been going on in the last kind of weeks and months with the uh, with the we work kind of situation yeah well we work it's it sounds like a surprise to those that haven't been really following closely the revolution as a business but i was just reminded by someone yesterday that i expressed my desire to short that company in early 2018 <laughs> as soon as they did kind of their debt offering um and, uh, you know, it's, I, I think, you know, yes, that, 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 that was a business that was overvalued throughout its life cycle. We actually looked at, um, you know, uh, uh, the valuation that we work at, for instance, uh, at a similar size when they were generating just about the same revenue as we did. Well, first, uh, their unit economics were substantially worse, like ours are like at least seven, like seven times better on, on an aggressive account of how we work unit economics work. Uh, but despite that, um, they were valued at, at five times more than we are for the same amount of revenue. Uh, and they were growing, growing more slowly as well. So all the ingredients that should, you know, <laughs> the company that's growing more fat and fat faster that has better unit economics should trade at a higher revenue multiple, but we works revenue multiple was five X greater. And so then, you know, that, that valuation stays inflated throughout its history. And then it tries to go public at a 47 billion plus dollar valuation. And people are like, actually this might be worth 10 or less. And we're like, well, no surprise, you know, if, if they had been valued more reasonably throughout their journey, maybe it wouldn't have been such, such a disastrous outcome. So um, I think, you know, there's always going to be examples of, uh, of, of irrationality in the markets. I don't think it's systematic. I think there's, you know, some companies um, that, you know, you know, a bunch of investors put money into out of FOMO because they're growing really fast. They had charismatic leaders that they had a really great pitch deck, but not much of a command of the underlying financials and how to create a business that generates cash flow. I think there's you know going to be there's going to we're bound to see more and more of these happen. But I think we're also about to see more and more companies learning from these lessons, and uh, and actually you know building a sustainable solid business you know right from the start. Yeah, that's how David. Very cool. Um, one last question, then we'll wrap up. Uh, in the last couple of days, Google has announced. Uh, that they're uh, having a vacation rental uh, product and uh, booking.com has withdrawn from it. And I think Airbnb hasn't quite decided yet. I'm curious how you view Google in your market and if you're planning on participating in that marketplace. Yeah, listen, our, uh, our, our view is that our expertise is amazing spaces and services 
um, and and our and we and we don't want to penalize um, users that, that that prefer using one website or the other. Like everyone should like Saunders should be everywhere is how we see it. Like even if you think about some really powerful brands like Apple, um, you know, a, a staggering proportion of their sales, I, I believe a majority of their sales actually don't come through the Apple stores. Like they come through distribution partnerships and you can buy an iPhone at Best Buy and you could buy one at a Verizon store and so on. Um, so our view is like we are building the iPhone and we want to put it in as many hands as possible. And that, 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 you know, so I, I think there's openness on our side. I'm not sure I have the specifics on whether we're going to be included on that platform right from the start. Um, but, but there's openness towards, you know, expanding our distribution partnerships for sure. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Francis. Um, I'm sure we could have asked you a bunch more, but unfortunately we are out of time. So uh, it only goes for me to say uh, thank you very much to uh, Francis Davidson, from Sonda. You have been listening to another episode of How I Got Here, which is a Mosey and FocusWise weekly podcast where we talk to the innovators and those behind uh, entrepreneurship and uh, startups in travel and transportation. Thanks for very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. And once again, thanks to Francis Davidson. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.